G'day everybody, my name is Glenn Hill. And I'm Jacob Meyer. Welcome to the Tactical Tennis Podcast. And today, Jake, I'd like to circle back and kind of flesh out some of the ideas that we've explored in some of the emails that we've been sending out recently. Okay, so I remember the last email that really piqued my interest was about sufficiently good return. Well, I'd, I'd like to go back one before that, actually, because we, we sent out an email that showed the shot placement on the return of serve for Sasha Zverev and Novak Djokovic when they both played Marin Cilic at the World Tour Finals last year. Yes, I recall. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so one of the interesting things that came out of that was there's this perception of Djokovic as a great returner, which he is. But pa- Wait, he's definitely a great returner, right? Yeah, he's like definitely it. a great returner, no, no doubt about it. But one of the things that I've I've noticed people saying, and this has been fairly consistent for some time now, that Novak hits with a level of depth that is unmatched on the Pro Tour and that his quality of return is so amazingly great. And one of the things that I found fascinating was when we actually showed where their returns landed because nobody's talking about Sasha Zverev as being a similar level of returner as Novak Djokovic nobody's talking to them in the same breath as being equally good returners and the fascinating thing to me was that Novak's returns landed deeper than Sasha's on average and it was it was noticeably deeper it wasn't like six feet deeper but it was definitely deeper so do you think then that Novak would be winning more points on the return of serve? Yeah. Wait, no. I'm saying the guy who's returning deeper is definitely winning more returns, right? That's what we, I mean, would, that would, that's what we would expect. I mean, you'd, you'd think there'd be this direct correlation. If I return deeper, then I'm going to win more points. The interesting thing, yeah, totally. the interesting thing is that's, that's not how those stats played out in the match that we looked at. And... Sasha actually won slightly more points on the return of serve than Novak did, despite Novak's returns being deeper. Now, do you think? And this is against the same opponent. This is like they're both playing Marin Cilic at the same and tournament on the same surface. And to be clear, I mean, is there anybody out there who thinks that Sasha Zverev is a better baseline rallier than Novak Djokovic? Mm, I mean, maybe Sasha. Probably not. Maybe his dad. Maybe his dad. I don't think very many, think very many people are going to make that argument. Right. And so if Novak's hitting his return in slightly deeper, but Sasha's winning slightly more points, where does that leave us? Wait, so who returned deeper, Novak or Sasha? Novak returned deeper. Sasha won slightly more points, despite his returns that, being a little shorter. That's really interesting, right? It, it is. And so that started this, this whole moment of, wait a second... Does depth really matter? And so then we started diving into more of the data around return to serve because that was fascinating enough that it needed more research. Yeah, so, you know, the I want to kind of dispel something right off the bat, which is I feel like the easy thing to do here is just dismiss it and say like, oh, well, the, the guy had a bad day. You know, he, he just didn't play well. Where... I think we know that that's not the case, right? I mean, these matches are really close together. Chilich was playing well. He's in the Tour Finals. It's not even a single knockout tournament. Right. And like, Novak played well enough to win in straight sets. Yeah. And so, so did Sasha at the end of the day. 
it, it, and it's not like he had some really crazy, like terrible day where you can just kind of dismiss it, right? So let's take this as something meaningful. We don't we don't know what, but something's there. So where'd you go from here? Well, so where I went from there was asking this question of, well, why would this be the case? Why would it be that the stronger baseline player or the person who's generally recognized as the stronger baseline player wouldn't win appreciably more points despite starting his points out with deeper returns. And and just to also clarify something else, the average speed of the return from both players was virtually identical. So they're, they're returning at about the same speed and Novak was returning from higher up in the court. And so he was giving his opponent less time to react and hitting his return deeper at around the same speed that, that Zverev was. And so... That, that started this really interesting question of, clearly, then, this little bit of extra depth on the return wasn't making a difference in the point outcome. Okay, hold on. So, I, I like where, where you're, you're thinking ahead here, and it's like you're seeing the objections before we even make them, right? Well, these are the questions but... that we have to ask. You see something funny going on. I mean, you, you have to try and eliminate the variables that might explain that difference. And, you know, the first thing that I'm going to look at is, one, how hard is the return being hit? And then, two, where was the returner standing when they made contact with the return? Because, you know, if I'm standing by the back fence, then my even though my return might be slightly deeper, I'm giving my opponent so much more time that, uh, you know, maybe that return depth's not going to matter so much. Right. We've talked about this, I know, ourselves in the past, like early on in the podcast, and I know we talk about it when we coach, about taking time away from your opponents. So, I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. It sounds like Novak was taking more time away from his opponent. Yeah, so to summarize... But being less successful. Novak was giving his opponent less time, he was returning with more depth, and then winning slightly fewer points. Yeah, I mean, then, that seems like... Then Sasha Zverev, who was standing deeper and and hitting a little bit shorter. Yeah, that seems like mind-boggling to us. Right. Well, the first, the first glance was, wow, that's really odd. But as you look through different matches, there's a pattern that starts to develop. And, and so then I, I kind of came up with this idea, and it was like, well, what if I hit a, if I hit a really poor quality return? Right. If I if I hit a return that lands short in the box and sits up and it's got no pace on it, what's going to happen to me? You're going to lose that point. I'm going to lose that point almost every time, barring my opponent right. making a foolish error or me getting lucky somehow. I'm losing that point. And so then, yeah, then similarly, what happens if I hit a 90 mile an hour return that bounces off the sideline? Uh, I mean, that should be an outright winner. You should win that point every time. We win that point every time, right? And oh. and so if I go to either extreme, then the outcome becomes really clear. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So what happens if I start to put the return of serve in the context of a rally ball, though? And and I say, well, if I'm in the middle of a rally and I hit a cross-court forehand that lands, lands let's say, two feet past the service line at 75 miles an hour... Am I going to get an appreciably different response from my opponent than if I hit a cross-court forehand that landed three feet or four feet past the service line at 75 miles an hour? Oh, man. 
I mean, in, in the As context an of a question. in the context of a rally ball, does one or two extra feet of difference when they're both of them are landing kind of three quarters court in that region? Is one or two extra feet of different uh, extra feet of depth really going to make that much of a difference? So that's interesting, right? Because my gut tells me, you know, no, it's it's not. At the same time, though, I mean, would you? It seems clear that the deeper ball, even if it's only two feet deeper, is a better ball. I mean, are you saying that it's not a better ball? I'm suggesting that it's not enough of a better ball to actually make a difference. Okay. Because neither ball, the, the, the extra two feet of depth in this case is not enough to really change the output from my opponent. Because if they're both balls are traveling along the same line, they're both a cross-court forehand with a similar level of spin and speed, and one bounces you know, a foot short of three-quarter court, and one bounces a foot past three-quarter court, that's not enough of an increase in quality to force an error. It's not enough of an increase in quality to prevent my opponent from attempting a more attacking shot it's not really going to make that much of a difference in the outcome of the point. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is it, it most likely isn't going to make any difference at all. It might and... make a, a tiny difference. If I play the point out a hundred times, that extra two feet of depth might win me the point or it might make the difference in the outcome of that point two or three times out of a hundred, maybe. Okay, well, so I'm gonna, let's approach this for a second from the perspective of like a teaching pro because we've both spent a lot of hours on the court, you know, feeding balls, drilling people, juniors, ladies, men, you know, all across the board. Right. It seems like there's almost ingrained in us, whether we're the teacher or whether we're the student, this, this value that we place on those extra two feet, like, Oh, you know, you got to get it better than that one, you know? And, it seems like improvement in tennis is incremental, so we're always like striving for that extra foot, that extra two feet or whatever it has, even if I've never thought of it this way and even if I'm willing to concede that, yeah, I mean, that that little difference in a rally ball, it really isn't actually changing the outcome of the point. Yeah, so this is where I think the, the key concept here is two feet matters sometimes. Right? There's situations in which two feet makes all the difference and situations where two feet makes virtually no difference. And, and so if I'm talking about uh, a cross-court forehand passing shot, two feet of difference in the width is going to make the difference between them reaching the ball and not reaching the ball. Right. Whereas two feet right. of difference in depth is not going to change whether or not they reach the passing shot right right or like two feet down the line if it's on the line versus two feet in the line can be the difference between hitting a winner versus you know the guy getting the ball back on on if they're on at the if they're at the baseline yes but think about if i hit a passing shot down the line does it matter if my ball bounces on the baseline or two feet inside the baseline if it made it past them no not at all and that's a great point because that's actually something that i coach all the time because I, I work with some players on the tour that are hitting a lot of passing shots and that are coming to the, to the net a lot. And 
I mean, we really specifically work on that. Like, stop aiming for the baseline if it means you're going to make errors, right? Yeah. Like, get that pass into the court, get it faster. You're trying to get it by them. You're not trying to hit, like, the ground stroke that we learned as juniors. So now you have me thinking, right? That begs the question, well, maybe our paradigm for returning hasn't been as complete as we thought it is. Like, what what's the information that we're really looking at here? What are the important questions so we can start to put together a better fundamental understanding of what we really need to do to be successful returning? That's the key question. And so that's that's where the thought process went to next was, is there a way, is there an underlying theme here or a concept here or an idea that can make a paradigm shift in the way we think about return of serve and i think that there is because what the data suggests is if i hit a sufficiently bad return you know if i if i hit a like a genuinely bad return i'm going to lose the point and if i hit a, an amazing return i'm going to win the point but there's this large range in the middle that starts with what i just have termed sufficiently good Right. If I hit a sufficiently good return, which is essentially a something that's close enough to a neutral rally ball at the level that I'm playing at, then I'm starting a point close enough to neutral that I'm in a genuine rally. And once I'm in a genuine rally, the outcome of the point is no longer decided by the quality of that first return. Now it's decided by the patterns and strategies that me and my opponent employ and who's more successful at employing them. Okay, so it seems like with that strategy, there's this idea almost of, you know, I want to get to a rally. Like, I just want to get to a neutral place. Well, it's, it's about risk and return, right? So if I hit an amazing return obviously then the there's a reward that comes along with that but associated with that reward is it is an extremely elevated risk because for the quality of return i have to hit in order to force an outright error of my opponent or a ball that's so short and easy that it might as well have been an error is really quite good like the, the quality that that needs to reach is is rather high like we said we you have to hit very close to a line and you have to be dealing with significant velocity and or spin and all of mm-hmm. these things are going to elevate my risk are going to elevate the odds that I'm I'm not even putting a return in play and yeah whereas if i accept this idea that there's this pretty large range once i reach this minimum threshold up to a certain quality it makes little difference where in that range my return lies. I'm, I'm going to have a relatively equal chance of winning those points. Well, well, that gets to change the way I think about returning entirely. Okay, so this is making me think of kind of an old story. Is this a bad time to, to ask you a question about my own personal history? I, I don't see why it would be. Okay, so you know, especially in my younger days, I really struggled returning. Mm-hmm. Right, like this, I would call this the biggest weakness in my game. So I've put a lot of thought into all different aspects of returning. Um, one of the things that I found for me, uh, specifically on the forehand return, was uh, 
if I hit that return really flat, and in my mind, if I tried to hit it really hard, I was actually a more consistent returner. Okay. You with me so far? I'm with you so far. So, what I had been trying to do, this is up till I was, I don't know, in my mid-20s or something, right? Was really hit like a, a not a full stroke, but I was trying to basically hit like a nice topspin ball, like three-quarter depth, like a very traditional, you know, return to the guy's backhand over here or whatever shot that when push came to shove was just really hard for me to execute on a return. Mm-hmm. At some point, I think I got frustrated and I was just fooling around and I just was like, dude, I'm just going to slap this ball like it's a like a passing shot. I'm just going to try and make good contact, hit it clean, hit it hard, and, you know, see what happens. And I just started making them. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of accidentally discovered like, oh, well, I could hit consistent returns if I would just hit this in some ways much more aggressive ball. But really, I mean, I wasn't aiming for lines. I wasn't going for anything crazy. I was just hitting it hard, right? But that seemed to be more consistent for me. At the time, I had in my mind also that it wasn't good enough like just to pump those balls through the middle of the court. Mm. I had in my mind that I had to have a particular direction, that I had to be you know, hitting it down the line or I had to be close to this or close to that. And so I don't think ultimately that it worked out great for me because I think things were kind of confused. But if you can... If you're with me so far, if we can take that concept and combining it with what you're saying now, it sounds like I could have just hit the return like hard through the middle most of the time, and I might have ended up in a much better place than where I was, where it was like missing 50% of returns because I was trying to do something that I really just was difficult for me to execute. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. If you have a strategy that gets you into the majority of your return point rallies it's a good strategy this is one of the things that rafa has taken to doing so well in recent years where he's standing so far back on all of his returns is exactly this concept for him i mean there's an understanding that if you're standing high up in the court trying to take the serve early and hit it with heavy topspin is a bad combination but if you stand really far back and just hit a really heavy ball that lands at the service line or slightly beyond, he's, he's doing that. He's, he's making a sufficiently good return to get the rally started over and over and over again. Rafa understands that he's not going to hurt anybody really with his return to serve if he's standing near the back fence. Right. It's too yeah, far back. I mean, you just can't get enough velocity on the ball to hurt somebody from back there. But what he's, what he's mastered is hitting a ball from back there that other people can't hurt him on. Unless their quality of serve is really, really good. But because he's so far back, he allows himself so much time to react and move and run down good serves and launch the ball up in the air with a lot of spin and and let gravity do its work. He's, He's hitting a sufficiently good return on so many points that you don't get very many free points on serve against him and you have to win so many baseline rallies against him to win. That's hard work. Okay. You said, I want to try and quote this, but you know, I might get it wrong. If you have a return strategy 
that allows you to put most of the balls back in play, it's a good strategy. Mm, I'm saying most of the balls back in play at a sufficiently good quality, which again, to, to me, a sufficiently good quality is, and, and, and the data seems to suggest is, if you're getting the ball a little past the service line at what would be a, a medium rally pace ball for the level you're playing at, which is obviously going to look different if you're playing against a Roger Federer or a Rafael Nadal or any any successful professional tennis player than it might be if you're, you're playing 4.0 club tennis or 5.5 league tennis. I mean, there's a certain rally pace that's probably going to go along with the match that you're playing. If your return of serve is getting to your opponent at, at a, a medium rally pace and it's got enough depth on it that it's not easily to attack, then you've hit a return that's sufficiently good. And that's an important piece of the puzzle. not just enough to make it. It's making it sufficiently well. Okay. So if I can make a return sufficiently well, it sounds like we're saying like, if I can just make it sufficiently good enough as far as the quality of the ball, then the other aspects of the return game might not matter as much? Or do we not really have an answer to that yet? I would say we probably don't quite have an answer to that yet. What I would say is if we hit that sufficiently good return, there's a point where increasing the quality doesn't make that much of a difference until the the quality increase becomes really significant. Right. So there's like a range where it seems like a really bad tra- uh, trade-off if I'm trying to hit a better quality return but I'm missing more, that seems like it's not worth it unless I'm hitting a way better quality return. Yes. It has to be... If you're missing a lot of returns, then the ones that you make have to be winning the point for you most of the time for that trade-off to be worthwhile. Probably probably a lot most of the time. Not like 51% most of the time. No, I'm talking 70-80% of the time. Uh, yeah. And I'm plucking those numbers off the top of my head, but your returns have to be not becoming back. Right. So what makes us, you know, most of us aren't getting 70, 80% of returns in play. Okay. What makes us not do that? I mean, what, like if, if all I have to do is hit like a medium paced rally ball, I mean, that's a medium paced rally ball. That's what I do most of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. If I don't, have to get it to this side or have to get it to that side or have to put it by the line, Like, what's keeping most of us from being able to do that? I think the understanding that, that doing that is enough. You know, If we're under the impression that we have to be more productive, if we have to put some higher level of pressure on, on the server, if our quality of return has to be so good that it hurts them, if we're, if we're approaching the return of serve with that mentality that I have to be hurting you with the return in order to be successful, then I'm going to inevitably elevate my risk as a result of that. Hmm. And I think that's, that's really the paradigm shift is understanding the diminishing returns to a point that come with an increased aggression on the return. Can you say that again? understanding the diminishing returns that come with increased aggression once you reach that certain minimum threshold. Okay, well, that seems like it would take 
like, I mean, I'm not being cheeky here. It seems like that actually takes pressure off me. Like, oh, you know what? Like, I don't have to do quite as much as I feel like I have to do when I step up to the line. Like, I feel like like a more confident returner the more we talk about this. That's that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think that's exactly the point is you don't have to hit as high a quality of shot as you think that you need to hit in order for things to work out okay. Because one of the things that people often are neglecting to think about when they are hitting that return of serve is what the server has to go through in the immediate aftermath of hitting their serve. At, at a high level serve, you're landing on one foot slightly inside the baseline and right as you're landing pretty much your opponent's making contact with the ball and the ball's already starting on its way back and you have to be able to reposition your weight so that you have both feet on the ground you have to add movement in there you've finished a service follow-through which when you think about the position that puts your body in uh, you have a, a very small window of time in which to regain your equilibrium and start moving and when you think about that you can think about the quality that this return needs to have in order to prevent the server from being able to attack it. And that quality is a lot lower than we might expect. All right. Well, I mean, cool. (laughs) 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 So sorry. I I mean, this one, so this all came out of data that you could, that you got, right? Like you collected it, you put it together. I haven't seen anyone else do this. And, you know, it was something that you kind of did, um, I'm just going to say on a weekend, I don't know if it really was on a weekend, but you put it together and then you called me and you were like, Hey, like, do you like, do you realize this? Have you seen this? And it just seems like this fits pretty well together. It doesn't seem that controversial except for the part at the beginning where like my expectations weren't met, where it seems like, no, 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 like Novak's returning two feet deeper. He's giving less time to his opponent. He's hitting better returns. And therefore, he should be winning more points there um, when that didn't end up being the case. Right. And, and this is the thing, right? I mean, when we think about Sasha Zverev and Novak Djokovic, I mean, they both obviously have great ground strokes. The, the big point of differentiation between the two of them is largely that Novak has better defense, right? If you get Sasha on defense, you're, you're much more likely to win the point than if you get Novak on defense, and, and so when you look at the return data from that match specifically, which was what started this whole thought process and started this deeper dive, the realization that really came was the returns that Sasha is hitting that aren't as deep as Novak returns are good enough that he's not on defense on most of them. These right. shorter returns are enough that Sasha's not getting run side to side as a result of the quality of his first ball. Right. I think it's it's a very interesting way to change the way that we think about return of serve. And I'd certainly invite anybody listening to share your thoughts on the matter because I'm sure that this is probably a little bit surprising. Yeah, and if it's not, I'd be really interested in that too. I mean, I haven't seen a coach kind of start people out with hey, like you have this range of returns that you need to make and this is what you should be going for all the time. Um, But if they're out there, then, you know, I want to hear about it. 
Yeah, I, I really do too. And I'm, I'm curious to see also the way people interpret this idea of, you know, that, that two feet or 30 centimeters doesn't matter in a lot of tennis situations. I mean, there are situations where it obviously does make all the difference like we were talking about, but then there's many situations where having an extra two feet or 60 centimeters of depth isn't going to really matter about or make a difference in the outcome of your point. I'm- yeah, it seems like our psychology immediately jumps to those few, fewer, They see, it seems like it's much fewer situations where it does matter. And then that we somehow extrapolate from those situations, like this feeling that it matters all the time, when it seems pretty clear that, you know, on rally balls, and ironically on returns, that returns fall into this category where it just doesn't make much of a difference. Yeah, it's it is it is kind of counterintuitive, and it certainly when that realization struck me, there was a moment where there was a pause. It's like, wait a second, <laughs> just hold on, time yeah. out. I I remember when we first talked about it, you were like, I don't think this is, I don't know if this is right. Like, did, maybe I did this wrong, and I think you like went back and did more work, and you're like, nope, this is what happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, when, when you when you watch when you watch live matches you get that realization very quickly because if you watch people and they get in that cross-court forehand rally and it's like, if both players are hitting a similar kind of ball, nothing, it doesn't matter if it's a little bit deeper or a little bit shorter. And then somebody will take the ball two feet closer to the sideline and all of a sudden it matters a lot, right? Because you've completely changed the nature of the shot by moving it two feet sideways versus two feet deeper. And and that's where, and that, the difference between me hitting the ball dead center versus two feet from the center doesn't make much of a difference, but you know, meat of the court cross court versus two feet off to the side where you really start to create some angle makes a lot of difference. And so, you know, that's, I think the important concept that we can take away that, that goes beyond return of serve to just also rallies. But really i think makes a big difference in how we think about return to serve and it's just the idea of it just being good enough it doesn't have to be amazing it helps if it's amazing but i think if we strive for good enough on the return to serve in in match situations then we're gonna hit amazing by accident sometimes and then also similarly when we're when we're playing somebody if if they're hitting a second serve that we can attack i'm not saying let's not attack the second serve i think it's a valuable play it's like, but let's let's make sure that when we attack the, the return to serve, it makes sense that we're doing it in a way that's sustainable. It's it's not a low percentage play, or if it is a lower percentage play, that we feel like we're going to have more upside down downstream from that. Where it's like by attacking your second serve right here and going after you. Sure, I might make this shot one out of three, but it makes you so afraid of that attack that now you start to hit lower quality second serves or higher quality second serves to try and avoid that and now you throw in some double faults i mean it's it's got to it's got to make sense in the long run it does it's got to fit together so this this is a nice piece of the puzzle for me that really and truly was missing for my whole playing career um me too to fit into my overall strategy yeah it's true thank yeah thanks for saying that um <laughs> i didn't say it um but to fit into the overall strategy of returning, right? Because there's a lot of other, you know, there's all these different aspects, obviously, to any tennis strategy. Um, and some of them are clear, like if I really attack a second serve and come in behind it, uh, that that's an aggressive play. 
Um, and if I execute everything, it gives me a great, great, a very high chance to win the point. But, you know, this was really missing and it feels like this is more the backbone or at least the fundamental thing that we need to understand of what is sufficiently good. It seems really challenging to have a coherent approach to what you're trying to do out there, either to win a match today or to develop in the long term if you don't if you're not able to make clear and make explicit to yourself what sufficiently good is and what you really need to do. Yes, absolutely. So share your thoughts with us, folks. You can reach out to us on Twitter, on Instagram, via email. Uh, most of it's available on the website, but certainly you can email me at Glenn with one N, G-L-E-N at tacticaltennis.com. And I'm Jacob at tacticaltennis.com. You want to? You want to? If you can't, this? if you can't, if you can't spell Jacob, then <laughs> yeah, you, you have to. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you can also get us at Tactical Tennis uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And your Twitter handle, Glenn, is Glenn S Hill. So nice and easy. Glenn S. Glenn Glenn S. The letter S. G L E N S H I L L. Very funny. All right, folks. Uh, yeah, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, certainly hope that this uh, is helpful. And if it is, reach out to us. If it isn't, then tell us so. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.